Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. While they're passing the plates, I'm going to give you guys a quick intro. We've got a guest speaker this week. His name is Ken Moser. Um, I don't see him anywhere, but wherever you're at, Ken, you can come up, come on up and hang out. Unless he, oh, I thought maybe you bailed after first service, but uh, why don't we make some noise for Ken? So uh, Ken's going to be out. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Ken's going to, actually, first service gave you a louder applause, didn't they? So. Yeah, I don't expect much here. Maybe at the end of the service they can try to make it up. But uh, Ken's out. Uh, he's a professor at Briarcrest. He teaches uh, youth ministry. Uh, so he teaches future youth pastors, youth leaders, youth workers, um, kind of some philosophy and ideas around youth ministry. Kind of cool because he's speaking out at a camp this week, and I've had a chance to sit in on some of his classes at Experience Briarcrest, and Darren's known him a lot over the years. And uh, really cool that he's here because um, a lot of his teaching and thinking and thoughts have really impacted uh, the evolution of FBC youth, has impacted some of the changes we've implemented at uh, Pleasant View. So now we get to have him out for the week. Um, so uh, you've got a good reputation here, so just don't mess that up this week. But um, anyways, um, Ken wanted me to introduce him. And uh, so I thought I would, and he asked me to just surprise him with questions. So yeah. I'm just going to uh, put him on the spot here and give him a little bit of a surprise. So Ken... You've been to a lot of churches around the world, yeah, and you've seen that there is quite uh, the spectrum of pew color. Uh, here Ooh. at FBC, we've gone with the classic uh, yeah. burnt orange, yeah. Um, and so, if you had your way Ooh. and you could make every church in the world conform to one pew color, what would it be? You know, I've been to a lot of churches, and I've been asked a lot of questions. Never that one. I got to be honest, I'm digging the 70s style color pews. I am digging them. I think they're nice. They're very comfortable. Like all things, let me tell you a quick story. I go to work for this church, real rough area, real, real troubled, lots of things. And I meet one of the elders. He says, do you like our new pews? And they were kind of chairs that folded down, but they were in a rack. It's hard to explain. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. He says it took us a long time to decide which ones to get. I'm like, oh, color? He said, no, we couldn't decide to get the ones with ashtrays or without. (laughs) So so these are cool. I like them. Yeah, these actually used to be a different orange color, but since we didn't get the ashtrays, it's just from people flicking ashes on them. They've turned this color, so got burnt a little bit. Okay, I'm going to drop one serious question, then I'll get out of here. So, can you teach uh, youth ministry? And you also said in first service you teach public speaking. I do. So, you better do a good job. Thank you. That's um, true. Because one of my students was here last class. Yeah, Landon. You guys know Landon yeah. Miller. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, you teach youth ministry. Obviously, that's uh, your passion. Yeah. And so, if you could summarize, you know, what is it, what is your mission or your goal? What, what's your philosophy that drives you? kind of to be someone who wants to make that their life calling to teach youth men. Yeah. Uh, 
If I was giving a different sermon, I would tell you my testimony. And my testimony revolves around the fact that for seven years from 13 to just before 20, I smoked weed all the time, all the time. It was my, it was my everything. And in, to use theological language, it was my God. But really, pleasure was my God. And I, I suddenly realized that, that there was a whole bunch of things that went on that, you know, I could tell you the story. It's, it's a good one. But, but I suddenly realized that my life actually wasn't pleasurable. I was, I was becoming more and more miserable. And through the, through the ministry of Christians and friendship with Christians and actually going on a Christian camp, I discovered amazing pleasure when I discovered the God uh, 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 who is. And so what I try to say to youth leaders is, and I'm going to talk more about this in just a minute in, our, in the sermon, let's, let's not try to import pleasure oh, maybe if we do this activity, it will be fun. But let's try to think through, isn't it actually pleasurable to be Christian? Certainly the Bible says it is. To love each other, to support each other, to hear from God, to hear from each other, to eat with each other, to do acts of service. These are actually, these are actually pleasurable activities. And so that, that, in one sense, is my philosophy of youth ministry. Let's not import pleasure. Let's derive it from spiritual activities. Now, that's tricky because you're dealing with 13-year-olds. So you got to think. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. Great. We're looking forward to it. Let me pray for you. Yep. God, thank you so much for Ken. And thank you for his passion and his desire to see uh, the future generation that's uh, already starting to lead the church and is going to completely lead the church one day to thrive and to um, reflect your image to the world so well. Um, I pray that you'd be with him as he speaks this morning and that you would really use him to speak into our hearts. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, if you have a Bible or a device, you're going to want to turn to 1 Corinthians 3. It's going to take me a few minutes to get there, got to be honest with you. But 1 Corinthians 3, it's also going to be on the screen behind me. Let me take a quick sip of water if you don't mind. I just had a cup of coffee. My name is Ken. I... Uh, I'm not from around here. I, born in Alaska, grew up in Phoenix, then through a wild and wonderful story, became a Christian, and then moved to Australia. I lived in Australia for 25 years. Some of you might hear a little bit of an accent. I married an Australian. Uh, after 25 years there, God, in his beautiful craziness, took my wife and I to uh, Canada. We moved to Vancouver. We had no desire to move to Canada. Uh, Sydney's a pretty nice place. And I, I, you know, I don't know if you guys realize this, but uh, Canada's cold. <laughs> uh, and Vancouver's dark. It's dark physically and it's dark spiritually. And uh, I've now lived in Canada for 15 years. I've taught youth ministry at Briarcrest for nine. I'm entering my 10th year. I'm also the head of the Christian ministry department. And we love this church because you send us students. Oh, we love it. And so this sermon is titled, Build with Gold or Why Briarcrest Loves Darren Butte. That's what this sermon is, is, is called. Now, I'm half American I'm half Australian, not very Canadian, 
And so I'm a straight shooter when it comes to speaking, all right? I'm also used to speaking with, to youth. I speak to a lot of adults, but I'm, I'm, I'm a youth speaker, so it's easier for me just to say it plain, not pull a lot of punches, get in my car and drive away. I hope that's okay. Um, the story has to be true because I read it in an in-flight magazine on an airplane, and they got it from the internet. So clearly this is a truthful and trustworthy story. It concerns a guy named Merv. Merv retires, and he does what a lot of Americans do when they retire and have cash. He buys an RV, and he's going to drive around America in his very expensive uh, recreational vehicle. He gets the, the lowdown from the salesman, yada, yada, yada. He flicks through the booklet, and he takes it on his first drive through America. He's sitting there driving, and he knows that this thing has um, cruise control. We all know what cruise control is. So he, before he pushes the cruise control button or flicks the lever or whatever you do, he says, you know what, I have paid $175,000 for this pretty significant piece of machinery. I think that uh, cruise control is autopilot. Pushes the button, gets up, and goes to make himself a cup of coffee. The road curves, the RV doesn't. F flips, spins, Merv pours coffee on his shirt, sues the Winnebago company. You did not tell me that cruise control isn't autopilot. They buy him a new Winnebago and presumably a new shirt as well. I don't think that story's true. It's a good story. It's also an image of what has happened in youth ministry in North America. Now, we're going to get to this passage, but I'm going to give you kind of a long introduction because this passage, this, I've written the passage out or typed it out on my notes here. This passage there directly talks to youth ministers and to ministers. Now, usually when we read this passage, we read it talking about our own lives. It's not talking about your life. It's talking about this church, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Let me give you a quick youth ministry lesson, and I'm going to give you 30 hours worth of stuff in two minutes, all right? Back in the late 30s, the Americans said, we are not reaching enough people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, before the 30s, we kind of agreed on, on ministry. I, I, that's a little bit of an overstatement, but... Most people seemed to agree on the basics of ministry. We might argue about this and that and sacraments or stuff like that, but we, we agreed if, if you were kind of a Bible-believing Christian person type, you believed that, that uh, Jesus was really important and we needed to, to get to know Jesus really well and that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that was a really, really big deal and you, you needed to turn to Jesus. And Jesus rose from the dead to show that his death on the cross actually worked and, and, and was this magnificent victory. And we agreed that you, we had to love each other and pray with each other and study the Bible and try to tell other people about Jesus. And then we 
needed to go out and do acts of service, the, what the Bible calls, you know, helping widows and, and looking after orphans. We kind of agreed with that. That, that. that seemed to be the way youth ministry and ministry was done. Two movements arose in America that said, we're not reaching enough people. And in typical American fashion, they went entrepreneur. Now, I'm not knocking entrepreneurship, not knocking it at all. But they went entrepreneur with the church. Now, what that means is they figured, they, they tried to decide, how do we sell this product? The gospel is a product, and we need to sell it like a hamburger to more and more and more people. So what these two groups did apart from each other just happened at the same time. In 1938 and 1943, these two groups said, we need, to, we need to focus less on the Christian young person. Wherever they are. I think they're there. And we need to focus on the non-Christian young person. And so youth ministry suddenly kind of left the church went out of the church into the marketplace. Now, there's some good reasons to do that. We, we could have a long conversation. We need to go out into the world, into the marketplace, and talk to people about Jesus. It's clear. But what then happened was a profound shift in youth ministry. And in the 60s and 70s, youth ministry primarily became about entertainment, not spiritual development. That's very important. That's very important for the next thing I'm going to say. Youth ministry was all about having a great time. And I, I, I interviewed a couple of times one of the key proponents of this, a really terrific guy by the name of Wayne Rice. Some of you who've been involved in youth ministry might know the names Wayne Rice and Mike Iaconelli. I, I kind of got to know Wayne Rice. I don't want, don't want to overstate it. And he, he talks about how we just needed lots of ideas. Youth ministers needed to be ventriloquists and clowns and magicians and acrobats. It was all about entertaining the young person so that you could tell them about Jesus. That led to a whole style of youth ministry that most of us who are older grew up with. Lots of water balloons. These days, pool noodles. The dollar store loves youth ministers because they buy pool noodles for youth ministry activities in order to tell kids about Jesus. Now suddenly, there's some research done on this methodology. And most of our research, all of our research, prior to kind of 2011, was American. And the Americans started to say, hmm, we're not so sure this is actually successful. Our church population is declining, especially in the numbers of people who used to go to youth group. We have poured billions of dollars into American youth ministry, and we're not seeing fruit. And talk to an American about spending money and not getting results, that's their language. That's American language. And so the Americans suddenly said, um, namely Barna Institute, if, if you know Barna, they're kind of a fact-finding Christian group, real good group. They said, mm. and then the Baptists, 
They run a thing called Lifeway and Lifeway wrote this study that was very influential where they said the same thing. 2011, we suddenly have Canadian research. This is very important because I don't need to tell you that you're very, very different to an American. I used to live in Vancouver. Most Canadians don't know, but there's a part of America right south of Vancouver that's actually not attached to America. It's called Point Roberts. It's a really odd part of, of the world. Google it on a map and see. But you're in Tawasson, if you, if you know that area, very Canadian. And suddenly you go across the border and you're literally, Tawasson is right there and you're in a different world. You, you are in a different world. We suddenly have a Canadian statistics. It's a study called Hemorrhaging Faith. And they interviewed, they surveyed 2,000 young people. That's a big survey. And then they spoke to 72 young people. Uh, long chats, what's called, a, what's called a qualitative survey, where you have quality conversations with young people. I don't expect you to read it, but if you need to take depressing medicine for some crazy reason, I'm too up. I'm a pretty up guy, you can tell. So I need to come down. I'm going to read something really depressing. You read the hemorrhaging faith study. That what's going on in Canada is awful. What's going on in youth ministry in Canada is terrible. 80% of our young people, gone. Now, we've always known that. Like, we've always known that. Many of you have been to a youth talk or you've sat around a campfire and the youth leader says, in 10 years, 90% of you won't be there. And you're like, no. We've, we've, we've kind of known that kind of stuff. But now we have data. But, but it actually gets worse because as they interviewed people, they wrote down what people said. And here's what Canadian young people said. You, 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 you can't believe it especially those of you who are kind of in your 60s, 70s and, and older, like when you think back to, to youth ministry when you were young, way back. Here's what young people said about youth group. It was not a place that I expected to encounter God. It was not a place where I would uh, grow spiritually. It was not a place where we would pray. It was not a place where I could express my doubts and ask spiritual questions. What was it? Well, it was a place with pool noodles and water balloons and honey, if you love me, smile and pieces of fruit on the neck and eggs on spoons. And you can tell my games are old. I don't, I don't, I don't play many new youth group games. But that's, that's what it was. It was all designed to reach the non-believer. Now there's a place for reaching the non-believer. It's called evangelism. It's really important. Our Bible passage today says, be very careful. You can do youth ministry, you can do ministry in a really shoddy way. Now we don't like to hear that. We don't like to hear that. We don't like to judge and I get that. But this passage is one of those passages where you read it and you're kind of like, did God really say that? 
You know when you get to that part of the Bible? And, and I think that's one of the really good parts of the Bible. And I, I say that to non-Christians. One of the really good parts of the Bible, good things about the Bible, is you're like, wow, I can't believe it actually says that. Why didn't they edit that bit out to make the Bible nicer? The Bible's not concerned about being nice. The Bible is concerned about being true. Let me read you this, uh, let me read you this passage. I'm going to go through it. And then we're going to talk about youth ministry, okay? By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. But yet will be saved, even though as only one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. This passage is not talking about your personal life. This passage is not God's love letter to you telling you to build with gold in your own life. That is not what this passage is saying. This passage is talking about a church. And if you were to read chapter 1, or really, uh, sorry, chapter 1 or the start of chapter 3, Paul's addressing a lot of issues in the church. There's divisions and there's fighting and there's quarreling and there's grumbling, etc. And so Paul is talking about the church. And here he's warning against people who either want to destroy the church, and we have people, lots of people, who want to destroy the church, who hate the church, and it's talking about uh, people who are doing ministry, but they're not, they're not doing it right. Now, again, we have alarm bells. Let me get to that in a minute. Paul goes to a town called Corinth, and Paul says, By the grace God given me, I laid a foundation as a wise or, or expert builder, and someone else is building on it. Paul goes to Corinth, town in Greece. He says, have you, have, you, have you turned to Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? Jesus died on the cross. Have you heard about Jesus? And a group of people become Christians. After a little while, Paul decides to leave, and somebody else comes. Probably a guy named Apollos. Other people think it could be Peter. We don't know. But he comes, and he takes Paul's little church. Uh, we don't know how big it was, but my guess is 20, 30, 40 people. We don't know and begins to, to minister. Then Paul utters nine words. Let me go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words. But each one should build with care. There is good ministry, and there is poor ministry. Some of you might have been to churches where you think, I love it, but Really? Now, I'm not hacking on any churches. I'm not here to hack on a church, tell you guys how great you are. But I, I, I've been a Christian now for 40 years. I have been to a lot of churches in a lot of different countries. I have seen a lot of youth 
things. I have been to thousands of youth stuff and talked to youth leaders. And some things I just scratch my head and say, really? That? How did you expect that to work? That was never going to work. And just in case you need further proof, just Google children of God. Now, there's a whole bunch of children of gods, so you got to be careful. But children of God formed in, in the 60s, 70s, and this guy wanted to reach the world for Christ. Good goal. So he recruited a number of of 20-something-year-old females, and he said, what I want you to do is I want you to go into the bars and pick up men. And I want you to let them, to take, let them take you back to their motel rooms, and sometime during the evening, tell them about Jesus. That's a bad strategy. I want to be really clear on that. That is a terrible strategy. That is not a strategy where we'd say, well, at least their hearts were pure. You know, at least their motives were good. We'd kind of go, ah! Paul says, be careful. First of all, it's all about building on Jesus. That's the first thing Paul says. I laid a foundation, and it's about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I, I want to I encourage you. I don't know Lloyd been here twice, three times. But I, I have found, now I'm a different style of person, I get that. But I have found Canadians, in particular Canadian young people, to be very easy to talk to about Jesus. There's this myth that modern people don't talk about spiritual things. That myth is only taught in the church, by the way. We're the only ones who believe that. Oprah doesn't believe that. Oprah is pushing spirituality right, left, and center because she knows that the average person is spiritual and they want to talk and read about spiritual things. And so when I'm on camp, I'll get to know kids and I'll say, tell me where you're at with the Lord. You know, do you read your Bible? Have you, have you heard about Jesus? And young people or old people will give you a very clear indication of, listen, I don't want to talk about it or let's keep going. Real quick story. We, have a, we live in, a, in Regina. We have a house, a, a park in front of our house, right across the street. My wife, Julie's taking our dog, running around in the park. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this other dog comes, and our two dogs are having a great time, having lots of fun. This woman walks up. My wife's just a, a real open, honest Christian kind of an evangelist. She's talking, and she says, oh, you know, my husband works for, for Briarcrest, and I work as a youth and children's worker, yada, yada, yada. And they talk, and Ten minutes later, talk's over. A week later, now we don't get a lot of knocks on our door. And we're thinking, oh, JWs. No, it wasn't. It was this, it was this, they, they don't come back after our last chat. I feel bad about that one. They, 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 it's true, it's true. They actually literally walked right by my house. Come on. But anyway, it's this woman. Now, I don't, do woman very well, so I'll try to impersonate, but I'm pretty bad at it. And uh, she says, hi, can we talk? So Julie and her, I leave, and they talk. And this is a peculiarly Canadian story, but it's becoming more widespread. She says, tomorrow, my sister is going gonna, is gonna to engage in self-assisted suicide, and I, I'm not coping. 
and I realized that I could talk to you. My wife has spent 10 minutes with this person. 10 minutes. Paul says we build on Jesus. And if nothing else from this sermon, let me, let me encourage you to see that people will talk about Jesus. They'll either go, eh, or they'll say, oh, you know, or they might say, man, I've, I've been waiting for somebody. In fact, I prayed to the God of the forest. Send somebody to talk to me about you. Who knows? Paul says we talk about Jesus, but then we build and we build carefully. And he says, you can build with two different piles of material. Gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Now, for those of you, I'm, I'm sure there are some builders and some handy person types here. You know what you build with. You build with wood, hay, or straw. That's the obvious stuff to build with. But when you read the end of this passage, Paul says, you're not building a house. You're building a temple. You don't build a temple with straw. So it's really, I think it's pretty clear what Paul is saying here. You build a temple with gold and with silvers. Some of you have been to temples in the Far East and you go, wow, that's a lot of gold. I wonder if I could, no, 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 no. Don't, don't. Paul says you've got two different piles of materials. And what's going to happen is at the end of your life, God is going to test your work. So I don't know if Darren's here, but Darren is going to stand before God, and God is going to say, I think God's going to say, well done, Darren. But he's going to say, let's just test your work. And the, the picture's kind of hard to figure out. It, are people going to pop up and... God's going to see where they were at with the Lord and then reward or not reward Darren? I, I don't know. It's, a, it's a kind of a, an odd picture. But I know that in my life, I was 24 years old. I was in charge of running a youth group. I had no clue about running a youth group. I went to the Christian bookstore. The book person said, go get, go get that book. And I went and got a book called Far Out Ideas for Youth Group. And it was a book full of games. And if you've got this game, check your bookstore here. There might be one on the copy on the shelf. It's, it's, there's a whole series of these books. And they were written in the 70s, and they're amazing. I, I hand them out to one of my advanced classes, and I say, I want you to look through these activities, and I want you to write down every single one that is illegal in today's culture. We play this game. We get to this game, and the game is called Butt Charades. Yeah. I probably don't need to explain this game to you. I think the name gives it away. Write down some nouns. Let's put it in a dish. Let's pull it out, and we will shake our backside. I'm not going to do it because lunch is coming soon. Let's shake our backside and try to spell or act out the so we'll play that game. And so the first person who comes up is Amanda. Amanda's 15 years old and attractive. So she pulls out the thing, the words elephant. I say, you know, you got it? She says, yeah, I got it. So while she's thinking and then starts to act it out, I do the kind of, whoa, yeah, who, cool youth leader thing, and I go hang out with the kids in the back. 
go hang out. I go, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I hear, I hear two sentences, and I'm not exaggerating, changes my life. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. This one guy, kind of a newcomer, he leans over to his friends and he says, the word is elephant, but don't guess it. This is awesome. I have just come from seven years of pursuing pleasure with all of my might. It's led me down a road of misery. A road where I look back in a kind of a fog and say, that was gone. Those years were just gone. Really good years. Gone. And I've discovered the immensity of Jesus. The amazing character and quality of Jesus. I've discovered the fact that he's died on the cross for me and risen from the dead. I've discovered the fact that life is found in Jesus and in him alone. And boy, that life just transformed me. I had a just I can remember my first New Year's Eve party as a Christian. There was this guy here. I don't actually think he was a Christian, but it was kind of a youth group New Year's Eve party. And I said to him, man, don't you think Christian girls are just way hotter than non-Christian girls? Yeah. He looked at me like, what planet are you from? That, my, my whole life had been changed. And so I want to bring this into the world of the young person. So what does Ken do? And, and I thought, and I mean this as a prayer. Good Lord, what, what am I doing? And I remember that night going out, uh, going outside. You can do it in Australia. And I, 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 I remember just I didn't know what to do. I literally didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I knew that what this was was awful. Twenty years later, we had a reunion of that youth group. One of them is still a Christian. One of them. One of them. That's it. Paul says, your work can be built, burned up. Here's what we know about Canadian youth ministry. Most kids don't stay with it. Here is the really bad news. You think that's the bad news? This is the bad news. We used to expect, and some of you still expect this, oh well, they're just sowing their wild oats. They will come back. If we were Amish people, you have this thing, in, the, in their community, they have this thing called Rumspringa, where you go off and kind of, and then you come back. They're not coming back. That's what hemorrhaging faith says. They're not coming back. The death of the church is coming. They're not coming back. They're writing nothing on censuses. They're, they're, they're believing in some kind of mystical forest religion or reincarnation. They're, they're not getting married in churches. Many Canadians these days aren't even having funerals. It's just this bleak nihilism that's taken over Canada. And by the way, you wonder why the average young person is anxious and stressed and depressed. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You think I'm starting to end. I'm just getting worked up, people. The reason why the average young person is so miserable is because of the diet that we have fed them that what you decide is true. There's no ultimate truth. And that leads to this bleakness because we all know deep down inside that what I believe is pretty weird. 
I used to believe that there were giant anacondas in my curtains as a kid. Paul says, be very careful. Build with gold. I just finished my PhD dissertation. Before you go, well done, Ken. I don't know if it's passed yet. So, I interviewed 38 Canadian young people. 23 who went to a youth group that's very similar to this one that changed from a pool noodle strategy to a Bible study Christian community strategy. I interviewed 15 Saskatchewan young people. And one of them is from this church. I actually spoke to her dad in the the break between services. And, and I just wanted to hear their youth group story. And my, my, as an interviewer, you're supposed to be very dispassionate. You're not supposed to say, you know, give me the gossip about Darren. You know, what's he like? You're supposed to just ask questions and let them speak. Okay? This gal came to this youth group, well, now, what, uh, t- 10 years ago? And, and, and here's what she said. I, I, I've written down what she said. She said, that when I came to youth group as a grade seven, I loved the games. That's a very common thing. Kids, kids often like the games. And then this new youth minister, some guy named Darren, changed everything. And I was really angry at Darren. That, that line actually made it in my thesis. I was really angry because I liked the games. But then listen to what she said. I suddenly noticed after a year or two that the group started to become way more accepting, especially of new kids. It's really interesting. She said, I also started to see that some of the kids in my school's lives were being changed because of the youth group. She said, I really looked forward to going to youth group because of the community in the youth group. She said, I I would go to youth group and I didn't feel judged. Really interesting youth speak there. And then she'd say, I I would come to youth group and I would be fed spiritually. This young lady is not as young as she was. Obviously, she's married a terrific Christian guy. Just, it's just a great story. One of those great kind of youth group Christian stories. Now, when we look, and I, I gotta be fast here i got so many things to say. But when we look at the world of the young person today, I I probably don't need to tell you that, that there's something wrong, like really wrong. There's, there's something different about the young person today. And before, we kind of had this fuzzy, is it the phone? Is it social media? Is it the internet? We now have data. And if you are a a type who reads, you want to read uh, iGen, a book called iGen, where she goes through statistics. Or you want to read a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, where these guys go through statistics. And they now know 2008. 2008. Life changed when the cell phone dropped, because it dropped in price back then and when social media became a thing. They've done studies. Many of you are like me. I got Facebook back in 2008 or something. But Facebook, you know, I check it twice a day, you know? 
It's, it's handy for pictures of kittens and you know, this kind of stuff, but, but I would never, it would never shape who I am. Like, why? So university students who got Facebook, no problem. Junior hires who get Facebook, What do we see in junior hires today and in high school people today? They are the most depressed generation. It's, it's like their lives are post-traumatic stress disorder. It's like they're living in, in Warsaw ghettos of World War II. The statistics are so bad. They are anxious. Think about the whole meds issue. Like when I was a kid, there was always that one hyperactive guy who was on meds, but it was, it was unusual. But now, and I'm not, I'm not knocking meds. Don't hear me for a second. I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking those of you who are on meds. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's just kind of part of our culture now. It'll be part of our camp this week. All right, guys, those of you who need meds, yeah, pfft, the rest of you go to dinner. That's just the way it is. And Arch Hart, a world-famous psychologist taught at Fuller in California, he says that, in his opinion, every single young person is going to be on anti-anxiety medication. Because God has designed us to drive camels. And society expects us to fly jet airplanes. And the brain cannot cope. We have depression. We have anxiety. Then we've got this, you can't even use an adjective to describe it. Self-harm and suicide. Like, kind of on a scholarly level, it appears like self-harm, cutting, was not really known before 86. Now, we had glimpses of it. There's, a, there's actually a glimpse of it in the Bible. But, but, but it wasn't this thing that psychologists were dealing with. And suddenly, this person does this study, and now we all know people who cut. And on one hand, we don't know why, but on the other hand, we do know why. It, it helps them to feel something, or it relieves pressure, or something. It's utter bleakness. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And then the suicide rates, especially for girls, girls internalize their pain. Girls read social media, and if they feel outcast or judged, or if they're cyberbullying, by the way, there's a cure to cyberbullying. Throw the computer in the trash. That is the cure for cyberbullying. Anyway, they, they internalize it. Suicide rates for girls have gone up 75% in the last couple of years. It's unbelievable. It's, it's staggering. A few months ago, an American young guy killed himself. He was eight. Eight. Man, I was, I was playing with Tonka trucks and that's what I was doing when I was eight years old. It would have never have occurred to me to tie a noose and put it around my neck. That is the world that we have created. One last thing and I've, I've got to move on. It's a world of expectation and hyper-busyness for the young person. God has not designed young people to go to school for eight hours a day and then do homework for two hours and do sport for three hours and get six hours of sleep. You know that. You know that. 
God has designed young people to sit around and look at bugs, to, 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 to sit in hammocks, to space out. Young guys need to space out. They're not being bad when they come home from school and just want to... And they're not being bad when they sleep for nine hours. Oh, when I was a kid, no! Talk to any sleep researcher or doctor and they'll say, boy, a 15-year-old boy needs to sleep. His body, can you remember being 15? It's crazy. It's crazy. But we have stressed these kids out with busyness. Then we put a device in their hands. That's a portal for evil. It's a portal for evil. And I, I have this out with my students. They say, well, what about if I need it? What about if I need to be rescued? And I say, okay, yeah. We all need to be rescued once or twice. But the guy sitting next to you has looked at porn 20,000 times. 20,000. That, that's not a good trade. That's not a fair trade. That's not a healthy trade. It's a, it's, it's a portal for just disaster. And fathers, by the way, put your phones away when you're with your kids, especially at the dinner table. It's not important. Whatever you're looking at, I guarantee you it's not as important. These days, given the fact that I am who I am and I'm old and cranky, I now talk to parents that I've never met. I'm at Timmy's. There's a guy and his daughter, cute little thing. And she's doing the three-year-old thing. Uh, let's see if I can do this without showing you too much. She's, she's doing this to her dad. What's he doing? Oh, Toronto won. My wife's going, don't do it, Ken. Don't do it. Don't do it. Buddy, I want you to look at this picture. Because in a couple of years, you're going to be doing this, and she's going to be doing that. Put it away. He looked at me like, what, where's the spaceship? That's what he, he looked like. Now, I want to, I've got to finish, and I want to finish by commending the youth ministry of this church. I don't, I don't do that to butter you guys up. I don't need to. But the youth ministry of this church made some very hard decisions years ago that very few churches have actually made. They certainly didn't make it back then. But now people are starting to realize, you know, and Darren and others made that decision and said, you know what, we're going to go for community, and we're going to go for spirituality, and we're going to go for love, and we're going to try to bring non-Christians into an authentic community that prays and loves Jesus. And if they don't like that, we're not going to try to entertain them into the kingdom. That doesn't work. There's no power in it. But the Holy Spirit, we know, is in righteousness and love and joy and peace. That's where the Holy Spirit is. And you bring a young person in who is so anxious and depressed. And we say, yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't need to fear any evil. Because if you turn to Jesus, his rod and his staff will comfort you. That's what I'm going to be telling the young people this week. And you watch what happens to a young person who says, I am absolutely terrified of what? Everything. 
and I'm miserable and unhappy and I brought along a pair of scissors just in case I needed some release this week. Jesus and us, we're the ones who can bring healing and cure of your ills. That is building with gold. Band, I'm not going to tell the story of Brian. They know what that means. I've gone too long. If the Lord has in any way moved your heart, you might want to pray silently. I'm going to give us a time for silent prayer, and then I'll say a prayer for us. Father, I want to praise you for the work of this church, for the youth ministry, for the dedicated group of volunteers, parents who've been supportive, ministry team. I want to thank you for the great number of kids that come, but more importantly, the great thing that's going on in those kids. Please pour your Holy Spirit out upon this church. Be with us this week as we seek to look at your word, have Christian community, just enjoy the fruits of the Spirit together. Father, we pray for those grieving, hurting, anxious young people in our lives. Please work a miracle and bring healing. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.